Welcome back to In Short. I'm your host, Alicia, and today we have a bonus episode. By now, you already know that I'm an avid audiobook fan. I love the way the audiobooks blend the worlds of literature and performance, and I don't think they're talked about enough in their own right. So today, I'm really excited to be talking to narrator and director Caitlin Davies. Caitlin is a New York City-based actor, theatre and audiobook director, voiceover actor, and award-winning audiobook narrator. She has voiced characters for the video game Magic the Gathering Arena and has narrated over 200 titles. Audiobooks narrated by Caitlin have received Audiophile Earphones Awards, starred Booklist Reviews, Parents' Choice Awards, Society of Voice Arts and Science Voice Arts Award nominations, and have been Young Adult Library Services Association Top 10 selections. Caitlin received a BA in English from Vassar College and an MFA in Acting from Brown Trinity Rep. Hi, Caitlin. I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. I'm really happy to be here. It's really exciting that you're our first narrator that I've had a chance to talk to um, and director. So with your background in performing and directing in audiobooks and theatre, I'm really interested to take it right back to the beginning and kind of what does your career path look like up until this point? Sure. So um, it's been a little bit windy, which I think you will find is true of a lot of people in audiobook narration. Um, Most audiobook narrators uh, started off as theater or film performers, although you do have uh, a small percentage that are also writers that that transitioned. Um, For myself, uh, I was a theater actor. Uh, I came to New York back in 2005 after undergrad. And um, so while I was, I was doing a lot of regional theater at the time, and then in between gigs, I was actually, my day job was as a swim instructor. Oh, cool. Um, this will relate to voiceover, I promise. Um, so <laughs> I was uh, I was a competitive swimmer uh, all growing up and through college. And so I was teaching swimming lessons, and uh, I was talking with a fellow swim instructor, and she knew I was an actor, and I was saying, you know, I'd really love to get into voiceover. And she said, oh, well, you should contact my uncle. <laughs> right. Well, it turns out, <laughs> turns out her uncle uh, is Paul Allen Rubin, who is a premier audiobook director okay. in New York City. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and it, so I contacted him, and it turned out he was teaching a six-week uh, audiobook course coming up. So I took it. Um, we've later become very good friends. He's become my mentor over the years. Oh, nice. And um, he, he confided in me at the time. He was thinking, oh, gosh, who is this kid? Like, well, she's a friend of my niece. Fine. I'll let her in my course. <laughs> so I, I took his course. And then a week after the course finished, I was actually up at, in Providence. Uh, it was welcome weekend for Brown Trinity, which is where I went to grad school. So I'd just been accepted. And I get an email from him saying, hey, could you come in for an audition uh, on Monday? So I actually left Welcome Weekend a little bit early, Uh came back to New York City, did the audition, booked it, and it was um, for a very popular series, The House of Night, Mm -hmm. um, by PC Cast and Kristen Cast. So, uh, and the rest is kind of history. That was a very popular series. And and at the time, so this was back in 2010, you know, once you booked a big series like that, Mm -hmm. your name would start to get passed around in the industry. Um, I think it's a little bit harder today to break in in some ways because there's just so many more narrators with the rise of home studios. Yeah. 
um, at that time, there were a little bit fewer, and you just needed someone to pass your name along, um, which is what Paul Allen Rubin did for me, which was just so lovely. And I can't thank him enough. <laughs> so that's how I started. Yeah, it's always nice to... I mean, it's it's like any industry in that, like, obviously your work speaks for itself. Um, and there, there's that question of do you, if you know someone, it speaks louder sometimes. Um, but yeah, you can't get the job unless unless the talent is there. Um, I'm interested in what you said um, way back when you were a swim coach. Um, you said to a friend, oh, yeah, I'm interested in getting into VO. So what was it? What was the instinct there? What was the interest? Well, we were actually just chatting in between classes. And, um, well, for the voiceover, you know, I've always been um, attracted to the story, even uh, in acting. You know, I started as an actor, but I've since transitioned into theater directing. And I think more of it is because I'm just drawn to the storytelling Mm -hmm. aspect, um, which is also why I'm really interested in the audiobook world. Um, I just really like a well-told story. And I kind of grew up in the storytelling world. Uh My father was a professional storyteller. um, And this was back on, you know, uh, cassette tapes. (laughs) So I have like cassette tapes of him and other really famous uh, storytellers at the time, traditional folk and and also some other um, uh, storytelling um, things. So I would listen to those every night before bed. My parents read to me like a great deal growing up. Um, and my dad was great at the character voices, so I, I probably get it from that. Mm. So I, I think I always had in the back of my head like that that would be something interesting to do as I was hearing more about audiobooks mm. and voiceover. Um, and also, even in terms of my acting, I've always found the way into the character through the voice. Oh, right. Um, and, and so that has always been my first connection into a character. Um, and then I've always found the physicality came later, but the voice has always been my initial way in. So I guess it, it makes sense. I kind of ended up more in the world of voiceover. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds really interesting. I don't know many actors that go in through voice. A lot of it comes from sort of that physicality, that question of backstory. Um, and yeah, it makes total sense that you you graduated so beautifully into audiobooks and the theater has definitely like supported the, the my audiobook career mm. i mean i um i really in- encourage people if they want to get into audiobooks to definitely take acting classes i think it's yeah. key oh, um yeah. But in terms of directing as well, um, it's actually been my theater directing that bled into the audiobook directing. Um, as far as my backstory with that, uh, I have a friend who's a producer at one of the publishing houses, and he came to see a show I had directed. Mm. And then he said after to me, he's like, wait a minute, you you direct and you <laughs> narrate audiobooks. Would you direct an audiobook for us? Mm. <laughs> so that's kind of how I came to directing audiobooks. See, that's similar for me is that I came from theatre um, in that I uh, I have directed theatre um, and it never, ever crossed my mind that, oh my gosh, someone might direct audiobooks. It never crossed my mind when I was listening to them. Um, and so I'm really interested. Um, I found there to be so many differences and so many similarities, but I'm really interested what your first sort of reaction to directing an audiobook was. What's the difference there between theatre and uh, audiobook? Well, it really depends on the audiobook, I will have mm-hmm. to say. Um, you know, when you're in a multicast situation, um, 
and it's like a fantasy fiction piece and there's lots of like character voices going on um mm. in in some ways that's a little bit more similar to um maybe directing some actors in theater than say like uh, an author read of of a nonfiction title mm-hmm. um but i think you know it's it's about the performance so while i'm not worried about you know the set and and movement on stage and and all of that. I am still concerned with like you know how are we developing these characters? Mm, yeah. Uh, so that's that's the link. Uh, it it does become a lot more about pacing, and I would say even more. It requires more imagination from the actors. Yeah. Uh, I would say in audiobooks than on stage because they have nobody else with them. Mm-hmm. So they have to be imagining the entire world for themselves. Um, And the listener can hear that. So if the performer is seeing the world, then the listener will be able to see that world too. Um, It is, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about audiobooks is that oh you're just you're just reading a book mm-hmm, right um and that that is not true there's a big difference between reading a book and performing a book and you can really tell it as a listener you can you really can um so a lot of my job as a director is uh to make sure that the performer is in that world mm-hmm. uh to watch pacing um you know most narrators myself included either have a tendency to speed up or slow down yeah, yeah. um so it's a lot of to do with pacing creating that mood a lot of having to do with correct pronunciations mm. and when i'm doing a multicast title it's about consistency are we in the same ballpark for all the character voices between the different narrators mm-hmm. because um, I'm I'm assuming a lot of your uh, listeners have listened to audiobooks but if you yeah. haven't the narrator each narrator is performing all of the voices yeah um, unless you're doing there have been more especially coming out of audible multicast titles where they're doing them more like radio plays yeah. in which case you will have all of the narrators just with that one character. But in general, in audiobook world, one narrator is performing all of the voices in their section of the book. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that narrator A is sounding similar on, you know, this character's voice to narrator B. Yeah, and I think um, when you listen to audiobooks sort of these days compared to maybe even just five years ago, um, I think you can really sense the way that the uh, industry has grown and how much more attention to detail it is. Um, I don't know a huge amount about sort of the uh, growth throughout the whole of the sort of history of it. Um, But there is a sense that sort of initially they were a byproduct because it was useful to have a nice voice reading to you. Um, And it really feels like the performance aspect of it has just grown exponentially. and yeah, and you can really tell that with multicast productions, um, that there is that huge attention to detail and they're becoming more and more popular. I, yeah, I would say one of the big, I mean, I think there's a lot of attention to detail when I'm directing theater, mm. but I would have to say like audiobooks are incredibly detail oriented. Mm. Like a lot of my job as the director is making sure all the details are kind of matching up yeah. um, when I'm directing audiobooks. Yeah, I mean, you're doing instead of a sort of one to sort of two hour play musical, you're doing a 15 hour audiobook. And so it's it's like the amount of detail as well. 
And there's also no rehearsal. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> which is the biggest thing. There is no rehearsal. So, you know, um, you know, often I'm working with, with really professional uh, narrators and who've done a lot of these. And, and, you know, it's great. You say one or two things and they're, uh, they're on track. Uh, you know, when I'm working with an, a new narrator, I may have to do a little mm. bit more coaching. Yeah. Um, but again, that coaching takes place during the record. There yes. is no, like, going back over um, so it's a very fast-paced industry. We just don't have time to redo things. Um, so that's a that's a huge difference. Yeah, definitely. From, from theater, it was it was such a shock um, for me, sort of that difference and like kind of having that sort of I don't know six-week rehearsal process with an with a cast where you really dig into motivation, you really dig into mm-hmm. sort of backstory, subtext, all this different stuff, and you're kind of doing so much of it. On the fly, obviously, you have that preparation when you're reading um, and you've made your notes, you've underlined. But until you kind of get into that uh, space with the performer, um, you know, trying to make it translate so that the audience and the narrator are getting it at the same time. You know, it's a it's a it's a minute by minute, second by second decision making process. It really is. And it's also, you know, as I mentioned prior, it's like you have to paint the world Mm. with just the voice. Yeah. You know, when you're doing theater or film, there's so much visual aspects that you can tell a story with. Mm -hmm. Um, With narration, it all has to come just from the voice. Yeah. That that the world um, and the characters all have to be with those slight nuances. Uh, so that's why I say I think it takes more imagination from the performer mm-hmm. um, to kind of translate that to the listener. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really interested in, I mean, your experience as someone who has kind of been involved in all aspects of audiobook production. You've been involved as a narrator, as a director, and on, I'm assuming, a lot of productions. You're also engineer and editor, right? No, I'm actually, I'm actually not. So, um, yeah, so I, there are narrators that do their own editing. Um, I mean, I do my own engineering, so I, I'm recording yeah. myself, but I'm sending in pretty much what we would call raw audio. Oh, Nice. Um, okay. It it you know I will do the I will punch what we call punch record. Yeah. So it's not like they're going to have to edit and splice uh-huh. my recording together. That's all. They're getting one full file um, for the chapter. But you know I'm not doing um, any of the proofing, which is like listening to make yeah. sure you know there are no errors. I'm they're they're taking care of all of what we call post-production, which is like mastering and editing um, on their side. Now, there are narrators that do that, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're working with with more indie um, yeah. authors and publishers. Uh, but I'm not one of the narrators who do that. And and as a director as well, I, I'm not doing oh, kind gosh, of the post-production. No. <laughs> yes. Uh, if I, when I started this podcast I mean I have sort of you know the minimal recording skills I have sort of some editing skills but oh my goodness as soon as I started this podcast I really realized how much I missed my engineers how much I missed the editors so much yeah I mean I I do miss going and obviously with COVID right now you know nobody's really in the studio although they are starting to open very slowly Mm -hmm. here in New York but you know 
being isolated in a four by four square box, <laughs> which basically looks like a phone booth with a lot of phone. Yep, yep. Um, you know, it's very isolating. It would be lovely to go back into studio with directors and engineers and people to talk to. Yeah, <laughs> even just even just to have. Um, you know, I, I think when I'm performing, I really love having a director and, or an engineer mm-hmm. or both because I think there is a level where you just up your performance slightly when you know someone is listening in right. real time. Yeah, you get that feedback. Yeah. And and right now we are still doing, well, obviously, like directing, but it's all remote. Um, even some of the engineering, there are some narrators who are still being engineered, and that is also remote. Mm, so yeah. they've gotten savvy with the technology. But um, most of the time when I am narrating on my own, I am without a director and without an engineer. Yeah. So, so, so take me through that process. Like, let's start from the very beginning, um, right through to the end. Um, what is it that's necessary for um, performing and self-directing an audiobook? Well, I think it really helps if you've been directed in the past mm-hmm. by someone yeah. else. Um, I highly encourage um, narrators who are starting. Um, if you haven't had the experience to work with a director, then then go take a coaching class with someone who is a director. Uh, there are some great people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Paul Rubin, and I, I do some myself. There's plenty of uh, Scott Brick, I think, does some. There, there's lots of people yeah. out there that do wonderful, wonderful coaching. And it really helps to get that feedback initially. I'm so fortunate that when I started in the industry back in 2010, that having a director on a project was the norm. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I, for the first year or so, well, no, I'd say probably the first like few years I worked up through about 2013, I always had directors. Um, mm-hmm. And then around 2013, for me at least, there was a shift. Um, you know, that was kind of the rise of the home studios. Right. And I was told by a producer, you know, we would give you more work if you had your own home studio. So I was like, well, okay. So then that started that whole fun process of figuring that out, um, <laughs> which I did. And then from there on, I'd say my work quickly shifted to about 50-50, 50% working from home without a director, 50% in studio. Um, so for me, having that initial base of director feedback yeah. uh, certainly helped and and allowed me to self-direct myself in a way that I think is really difficult for people starting in the industry without that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm recording myself, basically I'm I'm listening in real time through my headphones. Uh, if, if I don't like a section, I go back and I repeat it. I try to remind myself of all of the things I tell narrators when I'm directing them, mm-hmm. you know, slow down, okay, really paint the picture, um, you know, oh gosh, you know, you mispronounce that word, which happens very frequently. So amazing how <laughs> we say so many different words. <laughs> it is. And, you know, there are, I'm amazed at some narrators who can just go several pages without making a mistake. Mm. I am not one of those narrators. <laughs> <laughs> so I will make multiple mistakes on a page. So it's it's a continuous process of like, nope, back it up. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of my process of, of self-directing. How, how do you um, start with a manuscript fr- from the start? What is your preparation process? Sure. So it's really critical. I know there are a few narrators out there who don't read the book in advance. Oh. Um, I think you can get away with that if like you've, you've been on a series for a very long right. time and it's like a mystery series and it's always the same. 
I don't recommend that because <laughs> you never know when you might get a little Easter egg in there that you weren't expecting on page 350, mm-hmm. which I do know there was a there was a well-known narrator who who he, she shared this story of how, you know, he was reading, reading the book. He, he was pressed for time. He didn't get to read it in advance. And then at the very end of the book, it said something like he said in his deep southern accent. Oh, no. <laughs> and that happens more frequently than than yeah. you would expect that authors put things like that that you really should have needed to know on like page one. Yeah. Um, so I always read the book in advance. Um what I do is, as I'm reading, I'm I write down a character list mm-hmm. with however each character has been described by the author, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll I'll add to it throughout. You know, as um, I learn more about each character, I also write down you know the first page on which they appear, if, in case I want to go back and and look at that. Uh, I'm also compiling a list of words and names that I need to check the pronunciation of. Mm-hmm. This is critical in sci-fi and fantasy yes. when <laughs> authors are writing dragon names and just, you yeah. know, putting letters together. Um, that's really important to check with them how in their head they think these names should be pronounced. Mm-hmm. And then as I'm going, I'm also, I, I don't want to wait to the end of a sentence when I'm narrating to figure out who is speaking. Right. Um, so what I do, uh, particularly since most of the books I do have like 50 or 60 characters or upwards of 100 in some cases, wow. uh, some rare books. Um, so what I do is I will write the character initials at the start of their line. Okay. Now, some narrators like to highlight um, and use mm-hmm. different colors. Um, now, I can't keep track of colors. So for me, <laughs> it's it's always initials. And then I'll also write at the start, like if it says, he said angrily, I'll write angry. Yeah. So I know going into the sentence what the tone is. I may also occasionally draw arrows if I want to be like, okay, this section needs to build or this section needs yeah. to slow down. Um, so I do all of that. Um, if there's a lot of characters in the book and I want to kind of play around w- with uh, character dialogue and character voices. I occasionally will, you know, record myself doing a few of them. I do that less today than when I was starting out. Right. When I was starting out and trying to figure out my characters, I would do a lot of that in advance of, um, you know, recording just little snippets of dialogue and being like, do I like that voice? Is that right? Mm-hmm. And now I kind of know what voices work and what voices don't. So I don't do as much of that anymore. And I know how to. I have a much better sense um, 10 years out of how to place character voices in my mouth and throat to make them sound how I hear in my head. Um, But that's all just, you know, trial and error and and kind of figuring it out. And it's really key for consistency in voices. So understanding the placement of that voice Mm -hmm. is is critical um, so that you can repeat it you know, throughout the book, but also sometimes over years, because I've had series that will go literally, well, you know, the House of Night has been running for over a decade. Wow. So, uh, you know, how do you how do you keep those character voices consistent throughout that time? Especially as I as I imagine over 10 years, your personal voice must change. In it some does. <laughs> and especially with the House of Night, you know, I it was my very first book, and um, so I created all these male character voices, not really understanding, like, yeah, they sounded great, but, like, what they would do to my voice at the end of a day. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and you know, I've had to 
keep them. Although, I, you know, I've morphed <laughs> them slightly uh, just because for my own vocal health. Mm. Um, but that's the thing that a lot of, like, new narrators don't understand. Like, you may have created an excellent voice, but can you sustain it without hurting yourself? For, like, a 10-hour recording. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, it's it's a lot. And it and your voice as is a muscle, so it does get stronger. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah, those initial recordings, you're going to be exhausted and take care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really like you have done so many different genres. You've worked on thrillers, YA, nonfiction, fantasy. You, you know, you've 10 years in this and you've done a ton. I'm really interested in sort of what is it that makes a book particularly enjoyable to narrate and how does that sort of differ through the genres? Well, I think across all genres, if it's well-written, it's very easy to perform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can be a bit of a struggle when you when you feel like... You, it may not be that it's not well-written, but you may just not be connecting to the writer's style. Mm, um, yeah. So, you know, if that's not the way you speak or create sentences, it can be a little tricky, um, but there's not really anything you can do about that. You just kind of have to work your way through. <laughs> um but but yeah, I mean, I, I think the the easiest thing is if it's well written, then the performance just comes naturally. I'm I'm so I'm not going to ask you to name any names. But what about when you get something that isn't necessarily particularly well written, but might have a super compelling plot? Tell me about how a narrator can bring something additional and add to in order to sort of enhance it? Well, I think it's just that you you have to enter into the world of the book, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you have to understand the, the genre and the tone. Mm-hmm. So I feel like every author writes in a specific tone or voice, and you really have to be able to, like, click into that. Yeah. Um, and, and once you click into that, it makes your job as a narrator a lot easier. Um, you know, as far as like writing that maybe not not as good as, as you would like, there's not a whole lot you can do other than just really believe in the characters and really believe in the storyline and enter into that world and make sure you're seeing the whole world and the storyline play out mm. um, before you. I mean, it's, it's really important for the listener to feel like this is happening in real time for the first time. Yeah. So... Um, Anything that you can do to, to kind of enter into that world will help. Yeah, I think that's something that I always try and pick up on with um, when I'm directing is I try and um, talk to the narrator, whether it's the author narrator or, or someone who does it for a living um, and, and performs. Um, it's about, for me, that spontaneity and trying to trying to make it so that the listener is experiencing it for the first time and it feels like you are too. Yeah, and I think that really, as I'm going to keep going back to this, but like it really depends on the imagination mm. of the narrator. How how would you try and help someone expand their imagination to sort of uh, get into this then? Um, well, I would really encourage them first to understand what point of view mm-hmm. uh, it is in. You know, even... Um, and there's some disagreement on this, but I prefer, and I'll, you'll find in, in audiobooks, there are so many different preferences. So mm. take everything I say with a grain of salt, because <laughs> what is someone's cup of tea may not be someone else's. Yeah. Um, but my preference is that even if you're narrating in third person mm. and telling the story, that you are still t- telling it from a perspective or point of view. Yes. Absolutely. So instead of just so say there is um, a 
a piece written about, you know, someone's describing a kitchen, say, and this the the um, characters walked into this kitchen. Well, there may just be a list of items, but but what is the mood? Like, are we in a thriller? Is this scary? Like, is mm-hmm. are they nervous someone's going to jump out at them? Then that's going to be told in a very different manner, even if it's not from, like, not actual dialogue. Yeah. Then if, say, you're just, oh, it's, you know, they're experiencing nostalgia about thinking about this kitchen. Um, so I, I think that that is... a a really good way to think about perspective and point of view so that you're never actually reading or telling, that you're always coming at it from a certain um, mood or um, perspective. Yeah. Um, And and then I think I also tell uh, first-time narrators a lot that you have to really see it. If you're describing the kitchen, you have to really see the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because otherwise it sounds like you're telling me about the kitchen, but without it really being in front of you. And the listener can hear that difference. Yeah, it really sounds like you come from a sort of of that rich uh, theatre background where we've all had that training of, you know, that people joke, but genuinely being a tree. Like, how does it feel to be in that forest? You know, those sort of um, things that become sort of stereotypes when thinking about actor training. Um, but really thinking about all those minute details kind of adds so much, especially when in this situation in audiobook, you know, we don't have all the other uh, senses to rely on. Absolutely. Yeah. So you you kind of have to, you know, I mean, I I, I don't get into like, oh, can you smell the roses? But yeah, it's, it is a little bit like, can you smell the roses? Like what, <laughs> what, where the more real the world is for the performer, mm. the more real the world will be mm-hmm. for the listener. Yeah. What's your approach to directing when you have an author narrator when it's not their, their daily job to narrate and when you're directing uh, someone whose job it is? Um, so I have directed uh, quite a few author reads and nonfiction. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, everyone is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everyone's background is different. So I really try to come at it when I'm directing someone with a clean slate, like, let's just hear what they're going to do mm-hmm. and then and then go from there. So I can't say there's like a, a one size fits all. Um, I, I do believe, though, that an author, you know, they know their book. <laughs> yeah. So I do try to stay out of their way as much as possible um, because I think they're the ones who know their book and and know the way in which they want it um, to be received. Uh, so I'm more for nonfiction dealing with, you know, are pronunciations correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, is the pacing correct? Can I understand everything they're saying? Um, occasionally with authors, I've, I've discovered sometimes they'll like to hit words like stress too many words Uh so I'll tell them you know smooth that out um really you know make your point to the end of the sentence um but for the most part with most of the authors I've worked with they've they've been in love with their material Mm -hmm. and that they've narrated it quite well um it, it, what it is always is a challenge is for people who haven't narrated in the past, they don't understand how exhausting it is. Oh, my gosh, so much. People yeah. really come out of the booth and they're like, wow. And, and so you do, for some people, an hour in, they're like, wait, I still have to keep going? Uh-huh. I, I, I can't believe I still have to keep speaking. Um, and so a lot of that is is trying to help them with vocal health mm-hmm. um, and get them through that process. Um, and encourage them to keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always find that when I'm with um, an, an author narrator, 
um, when there are moments, because like with someone who's been acting their whole life, they, um, they've built up this muscle, which is translating what it is that they're thinking in their head to what their body or what their vocals are doing. Um, and I find that because author narrators haven't typically gone through that process, I find myself asking a lot of questions, um, or as many as time will allow in that space, um, and asking, so how did you want that to come across? Okay, I received it a bit more bitter than than you just said. Can we add a bit of warmth? Um, and so it really becomes like a conversation with the with the author narrator. Yes, I've, I've definitely had that experience mm. as well, where I will translate back what, what I'm hearing and what their intent is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a great great thing that you do, and definitely I've utilized that as well. Yeah. So I'm uh, one of the things that I love when I get into um, a studio with an author narrator is they come out one like you said being super exhausted all the time. Um, but one of the things that I hear most regularly is why did I write such a long sentence? <laughs> People yes. getting so mad at themselves um, because they obviously have to then narrate it. And I was wondering um, what sort of, because a lot of writers listen to this podcast too, um, what sort of advice would you want to give the writer who wants to consider how it would be um, in the audiobook process? Read it out loud to yourself. Mm-hmm. There are actually authors that will, once they're finished a manuscript that, that to edit, they will read it out loud. Mm. And I think that's really helpful. One, if you're deciding if you want to narrate it or not, you'll understand how exhausting it is <laughs> right off the bat. Right. And two, you will get a different sense of the sentence flow and, and mm. the structure of those sentences. Um, and you will hear it back differently than when you're reading it silently to yourself off the page Um, because that can be a rather shocking experience as an author narrator to suddenly for the first time hear your words out loud it is very common for me to hear um, the words who wrote this (laughs) what is that (laughs) sentence you know from the author themselves um because they suddenly realize that, you know, that that sentence was a run-on sentence. Gosh, where do I breathe? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that can actually really help your editing process. Um, and I do know narrators who have become authors, or vice versa, are authors who become narrators, that that is their standard practice mm. when editing. And I think that that's going to be something that not only helps with sort of uh, the flow and the pacing, um, but I imagine, like, dialogue becomes uh you know hugely amplified in that in that reflection process yeah absolutely um so that's what what writers might want to know before they even consider their audiobook um but what would you want uh listeners of audiobooks to know about the process well, I'm, <laughs> I guess one of the biggest misconceptions that I've heard from listeners who, who know nothing about the audiobook industry is that somehow it's, it's a glamorous industry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't know how that, that perception came about. Maybe because, you know, you see like, you know, in theater and film and, and different things. And there are a lot of film and theater well-known actors who work in the audiobook mm. industry. But it is... Um, it's very non-glamorous, um, especially right now during COVID. Like I said, uh, many narrators are trapped in their four by four boxes, which right. we have, you know, 
there's a few different companies that make these studios, Vocal Booth, Whisper Room, Studio Bricks. Uh, but they're basically all the same, you know, kind of the same. Um, they're about the size of a phone booth. <laughs> so imagine being trapped in a dark phone booth for, you know, six hours a day or more, <laughs> only hearing your own voice, trying to create these characters um, and, and do your absolute best for the listener while you're sweating. Because remember, in the summer, you can't turn on the air conditioning because while these booths are pretty soundproof, any kind of low rumble mm-hmm. uh, is going to get picked up. So we're working with sometimes without air conditioning. <laughs> um And especially during COVID right now, with kids being home, I know narrators who are working in the middle of the night because that's the only time they have quiet. Um, A lot of narrators uh, live in cities. And so if you have neighbors, you have to, like, stop for any kind of, if a neighbor decides to play loud music, Uh. um, you know, your whole day can be kind of rearranged. So it is is a non-glamorous industry that we all do. Because, you know, we love storytelling and we we love so much entering these worlds and we want to give the absolute best experience for the listener. And I just want to say, you know, during this time of COVID, narrators have been really, really pressed um, to kind of create that environment and where they can still work Mm. um, under really extreme kind of conditions. So I guess I would I would just want listeners to to be aware of that. Um, yeah, I um, the other thing that I always like to to let people know is thinking about how many people it actually takes to put an audiobook together. Like you obviously already have like the publishing team that get sort of the text ready to be printed and all that. Then after that, you have producers, directors, narrators, uh, engineers, editors. You have all of those different people. Um, and at the end of a, an audiobook, you don't always get every single human um, sort of credited in that moment. And it, it takes a village and it also takes so much time. It does. I mean, uh, especially for writers who are listening, who are thinking about putting their work into audio format, um, Mm. just understand, even if you're going the indie route um, and not working with a major publisher, um, it's going to take at least a month, if not longer, from start to finish. Um, And I would say more standard is like six weeks to eight weeks. Um, for the turnaround to everything, you know, because the author, um, sorry, the narrator needs to get the script. Well, first you have to go through casting and all that, but then the narrator needs to get the script, read the script, ask you any questions they might have. Mm-hmm. Then they've got to record it. Then if they're not doing the post-production themselves, they've got to send it to an audio engineer. They're going to proof it. They're going to send back corrections. Then the narrator is going to have to send back their recorded corrections. Then the editor is going to have to put <laughs> it in. It's going to have to be mastered. And then it's got to go through if you're going through like ACX or something like that. It's got to go through a whole approval process. Right. Um, so it is It is not a quick process. No. Um, I mean, it's quicker and I think, than a lot of publishing. Sure, sure. <laughs> it absolutely is. But but I think there is a, a misconception from first-time writers that, oh, it'll just take a couple of weeks. Mm, yes. And uh, it just won't. Yeah, it won't. Working um, yeah. independently as well, that's... Um, you're often working with people that might not have sort of the access to so all all the big high quality things that uh, 
a publishing house might have access to. You might be working with much smaller setups. In, for example, people who live in apartment buildings and therefore buy four little box um, uh, and have to wait for their neighbours to stop talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and most narrators do really try to always meet deadlines. So, you know, they'll, they'll work through the night if they have to. Mm. But, um, yeah, just be aware that there's a lot of uh, a lot of things going on, especially right now with so many people being, you know, working from home. Um, we just don't have access, even if we wanted to, to the studios. Mm. Um, so you are clearly working a lot um, uh, with your audiobooks. I mean, I think, I think you've had something like nine already out this year, and we're only midway through April. Um, what do you sort of how do you go from one thing to another thing to another thing so quickly um, and produce at the rate that you do? What's the mindset needed? Um, well, unfortunately, I think a lot of narrators, uh, for better or worse, are um, a little bit of workaholics. <laughs> um, it is a common um, discussion among uh, professional narrators in the industry of like how to avoid burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I'm saying this, obviously, uh, you know, it took a while to get to that rate. Right. So don't just, you know, um, for those of you starting out, don't be discouraged if you're if you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will come. Uh, but it's kind of a double edged sword because once you are working at that level and, and to be honest, it's feast or famine. So there. So even for you know, very um, narrators that are turning out a lot of material, there may be a month when they're just working nonstop. And then the next month where, you know, they have a few weeks where they're off. I mean, that can happen. Um, Just because we're freelancers, we take on the work that comes our way um, and do the best to fit it into our schedules. So for me, I I, am... you know, I, re- I typically record during the day and then at night I'm prepping the next book. Okay, so you'll be reading and right. Yeah, so that's kind of how I stay ahead. Now with COVID and, you know, not having as much control over my narrators, mm-hmm. it, um, not narrators, my um, neighbors, <laughs> um, it, it, you know, I've built in a few extra days just in case there's any kind mm-hmm. of issues. For the most part, my neighbors are great and it's <laughs> fine, but, you know, they have kids and if the kids come home early or if the kids are having a bad day yeah. or, you know, occasionally um, there might be some noise I have to deal with that will upset my schedule. Um, but yeah, basically I try to work a like 10 to 5 schedule of recording mm-hmm. um, and then I um, am kind of just prepping for the next book at night. Um, you know, and I'm not as fast working from home as in studio. Uh-huh. In studio, if I'm doing like a 10 to 5 day, I'm probably turning out about three and a half um, or more uh, finished hours okay. of audio. Um, with, you know, working, uh, from home, you know, if I can record like two hours, I'm good. Oh, right. So it really is. (laughs) It really is because also because I am recording myself, Mm -hmm. I think it's just a distraction in your mind. And I think you make more mistakes. Right. At least I find I do. I think you probably poke more holes in in your narration as well because you're the one that listens back to it and says, wait, is that right? And then you hear yes. it and, you know, you're always <laughs> going to be your worst critic, right? Exactly, exactly. Where you're, you're in studio, you, you can always, like, repeat lines and stuff, but I think you do that m- less frequently because, you know, you, you know, you're on the clock and mm-hmm. people yeah. are paying for studio time and uh, you want to get it right off the bat. So, um, so, yeah. It's that pressure of live, being live performing 
Yeah. Um, I'm also uh, sort of the last thing I really wanted to dig in is for you, like like I said, you you record so many different genres. What is it that it makes a book a yes or what is it that makes it a no for you? Um, so there's there's a few things I won't I won't narrate mm-hmm. uh, or direct. Um, I won't work on titles like I will do erotica. I have a pseudonym for that, mm-hmm. but I won't do erotica or romance where like consent is dubious, right? Which yeah. like a rape fantasy, which there are a lot of. Um, right. I, I won't work on those. Um, I won't work on books where um, this is very rare, but occasionally very occasionally, you know, where I can already see that there's a lot of typos and it's supposed to be the the finished product. Mm-hmm. And it's just to the point where I'm like, I will have to be editing this book. Yeah. Um, so I won't, you know, it's very rare that that happens, mm-hmm. but it occasionally comes up. Uh, those are, you know, as far as directing, um, you know, I just, because of my own personal beliefs, I, I just won't um, direct any author reads of very conservative um, uh, right-wing titles uh-huh. just because I don't think I'm the best person to 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 work on that title. Um, so so there's a, f- a few things that I just won't won't do. What are the things that get you really excited and are an instant yes for you when you when you start reading a manuscript? Well, one, if the writing is really great, mm-hmm. um, which for the most part, authors are, are wonderful and yeah. I love their writing. Um, so I don't want you to think, oh, every book I pick up, I'm judging the writing. Cause <laughs> I, I'm not. For the most part, everyone is, is writing wonderful books that I'm, that I'm receiving. Um, uh, and then if the character development. Um, you know, I love it when an author gives me a lot to work with, has really described their characters in depth. Mm. What can be difficult, I think, for narrators is when, say, you have 12 teenagers in a book and they all, all the descriptions are very similar. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then trying to determine, okay, well, how is he different from from this other character? And then I just have to make arbitrary choices. Um, and then I'm like, I don't know if that was the author's intent, but they didn't, they didn't give me enough information. Mm to really determine how these two people are different. So then I have to determine that. Um, so great character development, great dialogue. Is, I, mean, I I love doing character voices. Yeah. I particularly love fantasy where You're I get great. to... You're great at them. <laughs> oh, thank you. But I love, you know... I did a series um, by Lindsay Broker, um, and she writes great snarky dialogue, um, <laughs> just just really fun um, dialogue between characters. And, you know, she has, like, a snarky, sentient sword who's, like, a sorceress tra- <laughs> who's, like, 16, trapped in a sword. Like, what does that sound like? She's a sword, but she's 16, um, you know, or, like, a dragon that likes belly rubs. You know, like, oh, fun, 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 quirky, like, um, characters are, are great to play with. And I guess it's um, just that wider and broader addition to the world so that you can imagine it and create it. Yeah. Um, you know, any, anything that just, you know, it, it's like if you're reading a good book that makes you smile, it's like, oh, you know, I really... I want to narrate this because yeah. I can see this world. I understand these characters. You know, I can connect to this. You know, I did, um, um, you know, one of the books that I, I think is one of my favorites I've, I've narrated just because I connected so deeply to the character was um, They Went Left by Monica Hesse, mm-hmm. produced by Hachette Audio, directed by Michelle McGonigal, um, which was just an incredible experience because even from the audition, I just felt like I got 
this character. Like, there was something about her that I connected with her story. Um, and just a little bit about the book. Obviously, I, I don't have any experience with it. It's about a, um, a young woman who has survived um, a Nazi concentration camp in Europe, and mm. she goes on a search throughout Europe for her brother, who she thinks is the only surviving uh, family member. Mm. And it's just written in this, what I would call, like, beautiful, quiet devastation throughout the whole book. And wow. um, I, I don't know what it was, but the writing style, something, I just connected. Um, and I, I got the audition, and it was it was just an experience narrating that book. Um, I remember at one point we were in studio, and... Uh, it was a very emotional section, and I'm crying. I look out, and the engineer is crying. Oh the director gosh. is crying. And I was like, wow, that was just, um, I don't know what that magic is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes it happens. And, um, you know, that book has, I'm so glad. It, it was just a, a bestseller for a couple weeks mm. ago um, uh, for teen audiobooks on, on Audible. Yeah. Um, it won an Audiophile Earphones Award. It's one of Young Adult Library Services Association's um, um, amazing audiobooks for young adults. And, and I'm really glad that it's getting the attention it deserves because that book, um, it was kind of a sleeper. It didn't get a lot of attention at first. Mm. And it is just beautiful writing. So if you get a chance to read it or listen to it, please do. It's just gorgeous. Oh, I will. I um, oh, yeah, I'll definitely get it on there to listen because it sounds like it was just one of those moments where it magic happened in in the studio, which sounds just when you're able to experience it as a reader as well as a performer. Um, I think that's when the magic happens. Yeah, it's the closest I've ever felt um, because I do think theater acting and um, audiobook acting are different. Mm, yes. Um, uh, you, they're both acting. I will say that. Um, I, I, I don't. You know, I've heard people say, "Oh, well, that's not real acting." No, oh, no, yes. it, it is definitely acting. Um, just a different <laughs> form. Just like film acting is different than te- you know than um, theater acting is different than commercial acting is. Right. Um, it's a form of acting, but I will say it is the closest I've felt to almost feeling like I was performing on a stage. And I don't know what it was about that. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a very special book. Like, so and I've and I've been gifted with many wonderful books. Mm. So I don't know what it was about that particular one. Yeah, I was looking at your uh, Audible uh, list. And it's like two hundred and seven titles at this point. Yes, that's mad. <laughs> yeah, no, and I mean there are some narrators who've done you know over five hundred. Absolutely. So it's uh, um, I've been I'm been very blessed and I'm very grateful, uh, especially right now during the pandemic when. You know the theaters are closed. Mm-hmm. Um, that this that the voiceover industry has kept going, um, which has been just so wonderful for all of the voiceover actors. But also, uh, you're now seeing you know more film and TV stars getting involved with audiobooks mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, so it's been a real bright spot in the industry during this time. <laughs> Yeah, and we're looking for those bright spots every place we yes. can, right? <laughs> and not to say that the COVID didn't upset uh, the audiobook mm-hmm. industry. It did. It definitely yeah. messed with publishing and getting print books out, which then messed with the audiobook. Right. Um, it, you know, so it there was it definitely had an effect. <laughs> um, plus, people had to learn all new technology, and um, but it, it's amazing to me how fast people in the audiobook industry transitioned Mm -hmm. and got it together and still were able to produce 
you know, almost the same amount of titles. Absolutely. Very impressive. It was incredibly impressive all round with all the people involved in that, definitely. Yeah. Um, great. Well, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Um, where can people find you if they want to keep up with all the things that you're doing? Sure. Well, you can go to my website if you want to listen to samples or uh, read reviews of my work. It's uh, Um And there you can go and see a link uh, right on the web page to my Audible page. So click on that and then all of my titles will come up um, and you can have yourself a listen. Audible is great. Uh, and I will say for authors who are trying to pick narrators, uh, on Audible, every book gives you about a five-minute free sample. Mm, yeah. So you can just kind of take a listen to everybody on there. Um, my Twitter is Caitlin Davies NY, as is my Instagram. Um, so I'm just, you know, I'm late to the party. I just <laughs> got on Instagram like a couple months ago, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to do more promotion of, of the books I'm working on. So yeah, those are the places you can find me. Great. Well, next stop, TikTok, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm working my way up. You know, I'm always impressed with the narrators that, like, have great TikTok game. Um, yeah, I'm not there yet. Uh, yeah, Getting it's there. a terrifying <laughs> place for me right now. I literally just branched out um, in using the skull face instead of the uh-huh. the laugh smiley face. I was like, I'm going to try and see if I can channel some Gen Z energy. Um, nice. But, yeah, uh, it, it, TikTok is a little terrifying to me still right now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel old. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. That is, that's the feeling. You put your finger right on it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, it's been wonderful to talk to you and um, I, I hope your listeners enjoy. Thank you so much to Caitlin for taking the time to sit down and give us such an in-depth look at her narrating and directing process. And thank you as always to Teddy Merricks, my one-man production team for the music and logos. And thank you, of course, to you for listening. I know I say it every time, but I really do mean it. I loved my chat with Caitlin, so please do rate and review the podcast and share it on social media so that I can keep doing it. If there is an audiobook you'd love to hear me discuss, or you're an author with an audiobook coming out, get in touch. There are contact details on my website at englishgirlinnewyork.org, and I also hang around on Instagram under at alishasbooks.n.bobs, as in books and bobs. This was In Short, the podcast from Blanket Fort Productions. See you all next time. Mm-hmm.